This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Mannheim causes... Wait a second, I did this one already. Watches of tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that was kicked out of the Federation for unethical podcasting. My name is Gep, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Doctor Izix. Hi. And this week, it's I'm, I'm having trouble remembering because we've been recording these these like for the last months, several months. This is either Picard is horny, take one or take two. I'm trying. I'm <laughs> mixing these up. Well, uh, this is the one where he's not infected by a virus, at the very least. Um, so, uh, maybe take two, technically? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is this is Picard's mysterious past that we get weird, kind of strange looks at here and there, because they never decided what it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, uh... Well, uh, we're going to have some lost loves, and we're going to have some uh, dating later, and uh, Crusher's just going to be there just shaking her head the entire time, being disappointed, you know. Yeah. So this is the episode called We'll Always Have Paris, which, of course, is a Casablanca reference. Hmm. So uh, are we going to be uh, hanging out in, like, North Africa or something? Uh, I mean, I guess it could be North Africa planet. <laughs> no, we don't see much of it. True, uh, mostly just like bunker scenes i guess it's just a particularly in reference of course to the love triangle thing or whatever I've, i haven't seen that movie in freaking years i barely remember it so indeed I there was a love triangle <laughs> yes, uh, you know, and, um, a bar one of the classics also. yeah yeah there's a you know oh my gosh uh you know, I'm shocked to find out that there's gambling going on in this uh, establishment. Uh, here's your winning, sirs. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've got two writers this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. It doesn't seem like this episode needed two writers. But that's just me being salty today. Yeah. Uh, it was written by Deborah Dean Davis. It's the best alliterative name. Oh, I don't know if that's a pen name, but I love it. Yeah, well, uh, Deborah here uh, has uh, written a number of other things, uh, including a bunch of other 80s stuff, uh, including... Uh, Fantasy Island, oddly enough, uh, Magnum P.I., uh, Studio 5B. Yep, huh. Incredible Hulk, Knight Rider, all that 80s junk. Yes, and I believe this is her only uh, uh, Star Trek uh, credit here. I believe so, yeah. And also co-written by Hannah Lewis Shear, who worked on When the Bow Breaks and did some work on Coming of Age and Skin of Evil. Uh, they are going to write mm-hmm. two more TNG episodes and a DS9 episode later on. Yes, uh, I believe she's credited a story for Pen Pals, uh, which is the uh, episode where uh, Data gets a, a pen pal of sorts, and then uh, they do some unethical things to her. Um, and then uh, The Price, which uh, involves uh, uh, some uh, some worm, wormhole shenanigans and uh, sets up an episode of uh, Voyager, oddly yeah. enough. Yeah. <laughs> Because Voyager was like, oh my god, how do we do cross? We can't cross over anything. Wait a minute. There was, there was that one episode. <laughs> well, we'll uh, get this out of our uh, uh, you know uh, interest or our, our availability pretty early here in like season two or three, I think it was. It's like, yeah, um, Ferengi show up. And just, it's confusing, but there's another we might get home suddenly plot because we just happen to stumble across this yep. place. 
like they do. It's like, oh my god, are they going to get home? Well, let's see. It's halfway through season three, so probably not. <laughs> now, it would have been kind of interesting if Voyager had gotten home, and then they were like, okay, we're in the post-Dominion War era, and we don't really know how to fit in here. And so they get kind of sent out again for a while as, you know, because they're unable to cope with like how the Federation's change and you know, there could have been an interesting plot line in there. But anyway. Yeah. But, you know, that Voyager wasn't for interesting plot line. It was uh, hit the reset button and, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how exploded we were. Uh, we're back to normal the next week and we can do something else. So this is another, this is a sort of bodily episode. We don't have a lot of other stuff going on. So we've only got a few guest stars. We have mm-hmm. uh, Michelle Phillips, who plays Janice Mannheim. She's best known as doing uh, voiceovers uh, in the court and the quartet, the Mamas and the Papas. Uh, she trained in acting in the '70s, got nominated for several awards for her role in the film uh, Dillinger, which I haven't seen but I've slightly heard of. Hmm. And. Uh... She was uh, still acting as of, uh, you know, I think 2006, because uh, her last credit is like two, technically 2009, but it's for something called Svik, which is from 1993, so I'm a little confused there. But um, she was also in a spattering of episodes of various things uh, in the 2000s going on back uh, to, uh, I guess, uh, you know, 80s, 70s, yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, kind of, you know, uh, one of those guest actors that shows up all, all yeah, the time. all those kinds of things. Fantasy Island, T.J. Hooker, da, 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 we know the drill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let it ride. Burke's Law, 919 Fifth Avenue. Uh, uh, yeah, Seventh Heaven. <laughs> Rod Looms is playing Paul Mannheim, the husband of Janice Mannheim. This is important stupid reasons but it's important for the episode his best known sci-fi role was as uh, sigmund freud in bill and ted's excellent adventure he's also appeared in general hospital the Beastmasters, dynasty quantum leap and eventually stargate sg1 yes as osric i don't think i remember that if episode someone told me what the episode uh, was i would might remember the, the quest part one in season 10 which i believe is the stuff where they're looking for uh, you know, Merlin's last uh, lost uh, doohickey to kill the Ori. Well, it's the first one where they went to the to find the lost doohickey. Yeah. It's before <laughs> they figure out that they're looking for a doohickey. Yes. <laughs> so if he's Osric, then I think he might be the librarian guy, maybe. Maybe. That would make sense. It's been a while since I've seen yeah. it. Also <laughs> it's a been a couple years since I've seen that. that looked familiar in that episode. There's also a dragon, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's also in Webster as Professor. And finally, we have a couple of things, but the, the only other notable person in here is Isabel Lorca playing young Janice, or Gabrielle as she's credited, but she's definitely young Janice on the holodeck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like the holodeck read Picard's mind, and you're like, yeah, we have to have this sort of character in here, even though this is just sort of a generic recreation of part of France. Okay. <laughs> she actually has one of the more robust filmographies of people that we've had on this she has film roles in the power game desperately seeking susan and the pickup artist and on shows like er uh in the 90s she transitioned over into being a personal trainer for other actors which is kind of fun hmm. uh homicidos sadios hmm. never heard of it am i on the uh looking at the the, the spanish version of imdb <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's everybody we've got uh we've got girl 
girl husband and younger girl. <laughs> and uh, there, I guess there's also the Major D, uh, who is in Days of Our Lives. Uh, <laughs> uh, John Paul Vignon. Sounds likely, yeah. He only has one, one or two lines. Yes. Here's your table. Uh, have some wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Jumping in. The Enterprise is en route to get a break in shore leave and R&R and such. It's great. Excellent. Uh, Picard started a little bit early because he's fencing in the gym. I, fencing has changed in the last uh, hundred years with this. Because mm-hmm. I, I did some fencing in college and I don't know what this is. <laughs> this is future fencing they appear to be using half epee rules while they're using sabers but only going for foil targets it's very confusing they definitely do a couple of illegal maneuvers <laughs> Oops! You're, you're definitely not allowed to grab the other person well it's uh maybe it's federation rules uh you know maybe the uh I don't know, the, uh, the Tellerites are like, you need to be able to grab their, their foil. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, anybody who knows fencing, this is ridiculous looking, but I thought that was fun. They do a couple of fencing maneuvers and then repeat themselves immediately. Deja vu the glitch in the Matrix, etc. Wow, dude, we just, like, already did this, man. Picard calls the bridge. They've experienced exactly the same thing, so it's not isolated to the gym. That would be interesting. If you fence too hard and incorrectly, you'll have a time loop. (laughs) So still on his fencing gear, Picard heads up to the bridge where they're receiving a distress signal from a Dr. Paul Mannheim with a set of coordinates. Picard's familiar with Mannheim because he left with a group of other scientists to work on theories about time and gravity, none of which are widely accepted by the wider scientific community. Yeah, in the uh, in this century, uh, you know, uh, they, they don't believe in uh, general relativity anymore. Well, clearly. they've broken it so much. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's now just a passing fad that uh, they've grown beyond, and so someone doing research to it, it. And uh, linking space and time together again. That's just, like, forbidden knowledge, man. So Picard goes out to change out of his fencing gear, and Troy stops him to say he's being way too emotional about whatever's going on with Mannheim. And, you know, he tends to suppress these things, and you might want to stop that. It's going to go bad. (laughs) Yeah. I see you seem to be having some sort of emotional anything here, Captain. Don't do that, please. It's scaring the, 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 the ensigns. So Picard decides that he's going to go to the holodeck and look his past full on the face. Well, I guess this is one way to deal with emo- strong emotions. Yeah, I am, this makes me dubious of like the kind of surveillance they have in the future. It's, it's downright scary because <laughs> it says, make a Paris cafe exactly as it appeared 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. On this specific day. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit rude to the holographic waiter, but, you know, it's fine because it's a hologram. He demands a different table, then doesn't s- sit down, stares at the Eiffel Tower, then tells the waiter that 22 years ago he stood someone up here. Well, I guess that's one way to endear yourself to a waiter you just insulted. Um, I hope, you know, you know, hopefully they uncork the, the wine right in front of you so they can't spit in it, you know. He sits down and overhears two women at the next table one of whom is waiting for a date, and her friend is insistent that the guy's not going to come. The holodeck's out on some stuff. Troy's in the corner, just <laughs> beeping buttons over there. Hee <laughs> hee 
you know, write me out of some episodes here. I'll show you some, you know, trouble. <laughs> so the friend leaves, and Picard is called out for staring, which, yeah, you shouldn't be staring, though she is wearing basically a napkin. Yeah, like they uh, got one of those sort of, uh, you know, uh, shoulder strap dealies going on as far as the dress goes, but one of them just kind of completely off yeah, on her arm. Yeah, this is one of those future sci-fi outfits that covers exactly what it needs to cover and not a single inch more. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Which I guess uh, that's something that's, you know, you know, agrees with the uh, original series, I suppose. Uh. <laughs> so she gets upset and she goes, why would someone stand me up? I mean, look at me. Come on. And uh, he's tries to explain for some reason. He's like, oh, maybe he's afraid of a relationship or didn't want to be tied down or et cetera, et cetera. You know, then he goes, ah, enough of this self-indulgent nonsense. I'm done being emotional now. <laughs> you know, I I can't resolve anything right now. I, I have to hold on to this for years on end and uh, have it be distracting plot points. Yeah, later. I mean, you you maybe shouldn't try to resolve your main character's core emotional issue ten minutes into the episode. Indeed, <laughs> I don't think it's going to work out well for him. But uh, I hope we have a good resolution on this at some point. Back on the bridge, they received word that other ships. Um, are having the same problem. Also a nearby farming colony. Time loops everywhere. Mm. Dangerous hiccups causing mayhem. They arrive at the coordinates they were sent to find a beacon with other coordinates, which goes to a remote non-binary system with a pulsar orbiting a class B giant star. Uh, isn't, is that like, is that a binary system or a trinary system? Is a pulsar just flashing or is the pulsar two things that are also going around each other. No, no, a, a pulsar is just a quickly spinning neutron star that, uh, you know, emits, uh, you know, a repetitive uh, a pulse of uh, electromagnetic okay. energy. So it's a weird pulsar orbiting a giant star. Yeah. <laughs> Planetoid nearby. So they arrive and detect a fortified facility on one of the planets. It's just force-fielded all the, all the heck. Hmm. Oh, uh, this must be either the secret base or, you know, some Romulans are trying to set up a uh, beachhead here and uh, we should be watching out for what's going on at, uh, you, know, you know, with the neutral zone much and all that. So they hail the planet. Picard is very reluctant to identify himself. This is, this is mm -hmm. the captain. Yeah. Ah. Totally just the captain. No name. Don't worry about it. Anyway, how you doing? <laughs> they contact a woman named Janice, who turns off the force field so they can beam her and her husband up to sickbay. There, the man, Paul Mannheim, is having a seizure. Dr. Crusher tends to him. Picard instantly is recognized. So there was no point. It's not saying his name. It was... <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I guess at least it didn't, like, uh, cause her to, like, keep the shields up or something like that so they could bring her back you know, up to the ship and stuff but you know i guess that's maybe him not trusting her not to have a terrible reaction to him showing up yeah, yeah i know what was the thing it's like this is picard oh picard you stood me up once you don't get to save my husband's life i'm waiting for the next ship go away <laughs> well uh, i guess uh pettiness uh does have you know infinite uh, levels here um by i guess um and, uh, you know, don't ask for my help again and uh, later. <laughs> so, of course, this is uh, Janice, the woman that he left behind in Paris. Hmm. Aha. That the holodeck knew about somehow. Well, Janice, uh, do, do you 
know you have a, a holographic doppelganger now? So they go to Crusher's office. She explains that there's some sort of accident that killed everyone on the planet except for the two of them. Also, Mannheim was, for some reason, really, really, really paranoid. It has a lot of security measures in place. Uh, and she doesn't really know what he was working on or what the accident was. Wait a moment. Did, are there uh, Klingon forces that are uh, working on time travel experiments, trying to uh, track you down and get all the information out of you so they can build a time travel d- uh, uh, device to let a, uh, a, a Admiral Janeway in the future time travel? Maybe. Yeah, we've got weird order. We've got <laughs> orders from an Admiral J. <laughs> so Dr. Crestor takes Janice away to have some tests done. Tells Picard that her husband is dying because his neurochemistry has been affected by something. Yeah, just whatever. It's a something. It's a thingamajig. Uh, on the way back to the bridge, the turbolift doors open for them to see themselves before they got onto dun, the turbolift. Yeah, it's it's kind of a fun little uh, you know interaction here because they're like, wait a moment, that's us, and then you know we pick up not with the, the version that we had been following, but the version that. Just saw them on the turbo. Know, it's lift. a really fun way to do the time time distortion y stuff. And I wish they did that more often. Because you can you can start mm-hmm. with the future events and then see the past events and then follow the past events to the future events. Indeed. Uh it would be kind of funny if uh you know, instead of Picard kind of just giving up on it in the holodeck, you know, it's starting in a little time loop here and he's like, How's it getting annoying? I should probably like actually deal <laughs> with things. <laughs> So they scan the planet, and they find a second lab with a massive power source that's harnessing the nearby pulsar in some capacity. Yeah, there's some weird thing involving the, the, the pulsar and the, and the giant interacting, and it generates energy inside the planet for some reason, somehow. And it's not well explained, and just kind of go with it, I guess. So they try to send an away team down, but they can't materialize, and they're barely able to pull them back up. And they almost lose Worf. Yeah which that's two security officers in a row. So these security measures are apparently going to be an actual problem. A little bit, yes. (laughs) So you have to uh, figure out some way to get around them or, you know. um, So maybe we can bring uh, the the doctor out of it and say, hey, where can we go and not be dead? So Mannheim conveniently wakes up. Uh, He knows he's not okay. He tells the doctor that he has touched another dimension. You probably shouldn't do that. (laughs) I'm both like here and there, man. It's like I'm in multiple worlds. Yeah, okay. And I'm like, let's stop. Let's let's stop yeah. microdosing geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what are you on? I'm on space time, dude. <laughs> so Picard arrives with data. Dave knows all of Mannheim's work, so he can explain. You know, because data, he's the next position <laughs> machine, very literally. <laughs> yeah, I read. I read it all this morning. It's fine. <laughs> so they use the energy from the pulsar to create a link between dimensions. But he also doesn't know that the time distortion expanded off of the planet. And if it's expanding, then they have to shut it down before it rips space-time apart. Yeah, you, you don't want this, you know, eating up a large section of the galaxy. They're just, you know, an, an entire duplicate of our own, uh, you know, galaxy here in the same place at the same time. And, you know, with easy access one way or the other, that's just going to cause all sorts of mayhem. Uh, anyway, how's the mirror universe, the backwards dimension going? Yeah, we could go to so many of these things. That'd be fun. Yes. <laughs> so they can do this. They can shut this down 
but they have to introduce an unstable element into the mechanism, and their timing has to be perfectly timed with the next distortion or it'll get worse. All right, so we're going to send Gene Roddenberry in there, and uh, he's going to take yeah. care of it, right? So Vanheim gives them coordinates to beam down. Uh, before they can save the universe, they need to deal with uh, how Picard stood someone up 20 years ago. It's much more important. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, Janice wants an explanation, but there's not one. It's like, yeah. I just kind of chickened out. It's fine. <laughs> uh, she's like, Picard, tell me that you got the wrong day. Or you couldn't get a cab or whatever. Uh, like, He's just like, nope, I was afraid of my feelings. <laughs> and hey, I needed you're to cute go to and all, Fleet. but, you know, space. Also, Troy checks on Dr. Crusher in case she's upset that another love interest has showed up because they still haven't decided whether she's a main mm -hmm. love interest or not. Uh, that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> wish it did, actually. <laughs> it's like, you know, don't have this sort of weird unresolved thing that we're just going to drop for a few years and then bring back up in, like, last season. I know. What is this? See, it's just an excuse for Troy to get to do something this episode. So it's like, hey, are you okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay then. Bye. You know, uh, I, I guess, we, you know, the, the other extreme is uh, Troy and uh, Riker's relationship where Riker's, you know, falling in love every six weeks and Troy's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> now to make matters even more weird, uh, Mannheim talks to Picard about how Janice is unhappy in their marriage and if he dies... Um, he should take care of her. All right, uh, we're gonna make you not die because you know. Also, I'm on a spaceship now. Space. <laughs> <laughs> now we can go save the damned universe. Now we're done with all of our interpersonal drama. <laughs> we can keep space time from tearing itself apart. Yes. How's that sound? <laughs> you know, just you have to deal with certain things. You know, you know, emotional uh, beats. You know, before you take care of the fractures in the uh, you know space time continuum. You know, because otherwise you might have an unstable element, and that's why we're going to be only sending da data there who doesn't have emotions. Yep, data <laughs> heads down because he's less affected by time distortions. Uh, yeah. yeah, he can't become disoriented. Yes, the same internal way clock. People can. So he beams down to the coordinates that Mannheim gave him. Uh, he moves into the lab with a large energy beam in the middle, and he needs to wait for the next distortion to start so that he can poke it with a stick. Uh, this stick might have a little bit of antimatter at the end, but, you know, basically just poke it with a stick. Mm -hmm. So Data approaches the distortion, Jordy counts down, and, and so Data approaches the distortion, and Jordy counts down, and suddenly there's three Datas. <laughs> Yep, and then Data approaches the distortion while Jordy yes. counts down. <laughs> and so we have the moment of too many Datas, and uh, they need to figure out which one is the real one. Yeah, and they don't really. They sort of go, which one of us is the correct one in the right timeline? And they all just think for a second, like, yeah. it's me. <laughs> all right, let's just do this then. Okay, cool. We're not. We're not going to go. Everyone compare chronometers, or we're not. We're, we're going to give no explanation. Just go like, yeah, me. I'm it. Now, uh, Data's good old uh, 555 timer is uh, going to save the day one way or the other, and just trust the middle data to be correct about it. It's a good thing he, he's not, it's a good thing his internal yes. chronometer can't <laughs> drift. So the three datas combine back into one as the distortion stops. With that done, Mannheim recovers completely because he's no longer stuck between universes. He's eager to return to the lab and finish up his work now that he has opened a door to another universe. He knows that he can do it safer yes, and, next time, uh, I suppose. This uh, is important research for uh, a Star Trek Discovery plot that uh, 
they'll, they'll not remember this episode for, so they won't touch upon it. Uh, Janice <laughs> is a bit disappointed that they're going back to the lab, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, she's just, just going to go back to live fine. on a planet with you know a guy that barely pays her any attention, you know, as you do. Where all their friends died, mm-hmm. presumably horribly. Yes, and, uh, you know, off-screen, like, double-wise, because they're on the other side of the planet, just doing their own thing in their own bunker, and, you know. Uh, before they actually leave, Janice goes to the holodeck where Picard's waiting in the recreation of the cafe. Uh, her doppelganger self is gone, That's I convenient. Guess. That would be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wants to say goodbye properly this time, so they toast, and she walks out forever. But I, I, now I just want it to be the same scene. I want them to be toasting and saying goodbye while her doppelganger's over this. Why? Why isn't he showing up? Oh, my God. <laughs> Computer, delete other characters. <laughs> <laughs> you again. You were the one who was staring at me. Sorry. Waiter, the whole person. Sorry, Jan- Janice. Uh, I, I didn't mean to. I can explain. <laughs> So they drop them back off at their lab, and on the bridge they just they just continue on to shore leave. Yeah, yep, well, off we so go. So hopefully we'll get to shore leave next t- uh, episode. But uh, in the meantime, I uh, guess we could still have a, a nice day on Paris uh, on the holodeck. So you know. Yeah, I mean, if by shore leave you mean mysterious, mysterious mining planets that have long been long since abandoned, yep. and a fun <laughs> trip back to Earth. That's the same thing as a shore leave adventure, right? Yeah. Okay. Do we do do we figure out how to talk more about uh, time dilations or interpersonal conflict? Well, and love I guess triangles? my uh, first thought was actually about uh, multi-dimensional uh, uh, universes in in uh, sci-fi plots, but uh, we can do one of the other two first. <laughs> I mean, that would work too. I I honestly have very little for this. I, I haven't thought of much. So much of this episode is taken up with a stupid love triangle that we should be over by, with by mm-hmm. now. You know, it's the it's the freaking future. Like, get over yes. it. You're 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 both obsessed with being stood yes. up twenty <laughs> years ago. You know, Picard could have a very, I guess. Uh, Starfleet sort of, uh, you know, vibe on it as well. Uh, you know, cause later in the series, he's like, yeah, I'm the captain. I have to have a certain, you know, you know, uh, distance between me and everyone else around me. Um, and you know, you could potentially have that sort of introduced here in, you know, as his sort of excuse not to address the, uh, the, the, uh, the love triangle stuff. And so you uh, leave, uh, Janice, uh, sort of, uh, you know, unfulfilled in terms of trying to come to terms with all this because Picard's decided that, yeah, this is, yeah, as he said, kind of self-indulgent to sort of, you know, uh, dwell in the past like that. Um, but, uh, maybe by the end of the episode, after they've had this, uh, read in with, uh, you know, time travel messing with things that maybe, maybe it is okay to have a second chance, even if it's not going to go anywhere. I do feel like it would have been, a more interesting episode to me if she was upset for some reason. It would have been a more sexist episode, I guess, if only one of them was upset. But if she was upset for some reason, and he maybe he was upset too, but instead of dealing with a bunch of interpersonal junk, I'm like, you know what? We're kind of trying to keep the universe yes. from being ripped <laughs> apart right now. You know, I guess we could still have the love triangle plot uh, as is. We just need to put some things around it to make it clear that the resolving the time fracture stuff is ongoing and 
you know, we'll, that will be resolved, but there's, but we have to wait a certain amount of time. So we have a certain amount of time where we're just stuck waiting and like, well, we're, we're still here. So might as well talk about this stuff here. Um, and could even have some of the, uh, time repeating stuff, uh, factor in where, uh, you know, at one moment they start having the conversation and they start t into a fight. And then, you know, one of them turns their back on the other, uh, and the other one is like this, that, the other thing. And then, you know, they turn, you know, they turn to look at each other again, but there's another copy of them here having the same argument. And they just look at it and like, well, maybe this is all really silly, actually. Uh, the, yeah, that'd be great yeah. if they combined the two. It's, and it's like, oh, you know, seeing this from the yeah, outside. Yeah, maybe we stupid. should, I don't know, be honest with each other. And, you know, Picard, you could have that certain uh, standoffish uh, sort of thing I mentioned. But, you know, Janice is like, you know, hiding behind that's not going to solve anything for either of us. So maybe we should be adults and just kind of confront it. And that there is some unresolved stuff there. And it'd be nice to be able to say, you know, one, you know, it's not going to happen from this point forward because, you know, she's married and he's kind of being Picard. Uh, and, you know, but it's all the same, you know, you know, they're maybe both sorry for what happened. Uh, you know, she was, you know, you know, stood up in this uh, version of the episode, but, you know, maybe there was, you know, something that, you know, uh, you know, spooked Picard. And so she's sorry about that. But Picard's also like, yeah, I shouldn't have been spooked. So, you know, sorry about that. So, and, you know, it's maybe not going to be a very, uh, you know, great, satisfying sort of resolution out of it, but they kind of come to terms to, all right, maybe they're both kind of being jerks to a certain degree. Um, but Picard maybe a little bit more so. <laughs> I suppose that even though we can rewrite this episode better in 10 minutes, uh, which could be a little bit, a little bit, um, I don't know, lenient on it because it was literally written over the phone yes. during the writer's strike. <laughs> and so, you know, it kind of lifting, you know, generic uh, uh, love triangle, love plot and uh, pasting in in here. And it's like, oh, we also need something Star Trek-y. Uh, yeah, it's to be kind of expected that things going to be a little bit of a mess. I mean, it's kind of an interesting... I don't know how I feel about this because it was a... She is the writer refused to work during a strike. So the producer got her on the phone and went, well, what do you think of this line? So yeah. like, <laughs> can, I, can I keep going back to wave my sign, please? Come on. <laughs> I'm trying to get, like, you know, enough money to, like, live. What's what she got there? Interdimensional shit? Yes, uh, I guess this kind of goes to maybe not necessarily the science of it, because, you, know, uh, you know, I think we've touched a little bit on that uh, previously, but how it kind of can be used and abused well in fiction. That if you start introducing a multiverse, you could very easily fall into the trap that, all right, if there's a multi-dimensional uh, you know, multi nonsense out there where every other possibility that has ever, you know, you know maybe possibly happened, has happened, then why do we care about this timeline tell me captain why <laughs> well because what else are you gonna do well that's sort of the the obvious answer but uh you know in terms of you know this is the show we are putting together so that's what, the one we're going to be following but uh you know <laughs> for people uh you know invested in the fiction of the universe and all that it can very easily lead to a certain i guess of uh i guess cynical sort of you know uh, interpretation of the setting uh, which well, I think that you which you don't want <laughs> that you 
you have two ways that they've dealt with this overall. You kind of like just po popping it in there for fun every now and then is fine. They they started overusing it after a while, mm -hmm. having the like here's the ra random mirror universe or here's the random backward universe. That's fun, and they made it pretty clear that traveling between one and the other is either completely uncontrollable and accidental or takes a massive amount of effort. So, of course, it's not going to happen all the time, and you don't yes. have backup universes uh, everywhere. Yeah, you know, that's kind of one of the things I you know, got a little uh, unhappy with uh, Stargate is, yeah, you know, there's a complete multiverse out there where maybe not every possibility has happened, but a good number of them have. Uh, and you could maybe blame time travelers causing, you know, time splitting or something like that, you know, because that's also a thing in, in Stargate. But it also kind of leads to the question of, all right, so if this, if the universe we've been following, uh, you know, is going to be, you know, the big bad's going to win, we could potentially just hop over to one where they don't exist or they've already lost ages ago or you know, we have the means to save the day in our universe, and we're just going to borrow whatever super tech it is to uh, to do it. And it's very much a a opportunity for a Deus Ex Machina uh, of the kind of unsatisfactory sort, because you're not really kind of needing to invest anything in in this sort of uh, cop out by having this be a possibility. Um, but I guess in this particular episode the sort of multi-universe uh, stuff is only being sort of hinted at where, you know, another sort of, uh, you know, later Star Trek, it's a little bit more, you know, directly, obviously a thing. Uh, so, you know, the Kelvin universe and this universe are happening at the same time and maybe we'll meet up someday. <laughs> I think that, well, it got, it got overused in Star Trek. And if you want to, if you want to actually have it, you have three possibilities. You have the, what they were doing in Star Trek, which is, Sometimes this happens, but you have absolutely no control over it, so you still care about the prime thing because you can't actually move move them around. Mm -hmm. They tried to do that a little bit in Stargate, but they gave them they let them control the thing too much eventually. At least they broke the mirror. Then you have <laughs> Then you have the other two things which are shows and things that, that deal with it as their primary as their primary sci fi thing and use that to explore mm -hmm. it. And I think the two that are doing that right now are Rick and Morty and Everything yes. Everywhere All at Once. Ah. And they actually take completely opposite viewpoints on the multiverse, on caring about the prime timeline, etc. in the multiverse settings. As Rick and Morty does the sort of nihilism thing of nothing really matters because there's just too much going on the universe is big there's too many of us and nothing actually matters so do whatever we want which because is who cares? oddly enough the uh, antagonist sort of starting view in everything everywhere all at once because <laughs> mm -hmm. everything everywhere all at once uh possible minor spoilers you should definitely see the movie i'm going to not go it's into story stuff but you know <laughs> um overall you know the antagonist starts out nihilistic and by the end you have your main character uh, combat it with absurdism because yes everything's big and complicated and too much to actually care about but you know that frees you up to do whatever yeah. so actually yeah, great. it should be a liberation not a uh, not a chain to uh to uh, a dark place hmm. so yeah uh, check out the film uh I'd highly recommend it. And it is probably my favorite 
take on multi-universe situations uh, in media at all. <laughs> uh, yep. You know, with like maybe uh, sliders being number two there. <laughs> <laughs> you also should definitely look at, if you have any interest in movie making at all, find any of the behind the scenes stuff because they made that movie on it's, like it's an indie budget. Fantastic. And it could very easily have been like a small stage play. <laughs> you know, few number of actors, you know, but all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And yeah, it's, 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 it's fantastic. So I, I, I don't want to, I, I'm, I'm tempted Geppen, keep me from giving any spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. You can't actually care about your prime timeline. If you have the, well, just one timeline over, we have exactly the same thing, literally exactly the same thing, except, you know, 700 years ago that one bird mm-hmm. sneezed that one time which is how your multiverse stuff works yeah you know there are maybe ways to sort of i guess pare down the branching to a certain degree where you know only certain types of uh, branching is allowed uh i believe uh, futurama sort of had a little bit of a joke on that where it's like okay we've created you know a, a portal to another universe uh and in this one Every time we flipped a coin for anything, it went the other way. So, you know, these mm-hmm. minor decisions were flipped. Everything else is exactly the same. <laughs> so, you know, but that would be a very kind of silly uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, thing to include in Star Trek. Uh, though Star Trek can be very silly sometimes. Um, it very works, much works in Futurama, though. Um, so, you know, another sort of way to uh, sort of, I guess, make it less of a problem is, you know, that... In terms of, you know, the the universe existing, you know, all the other, you know, uh, multidimensional stuff there is a possibility, but not actually a reality, unless there is some sort of fracture like this going on. Uh, and it will, you know, the other universes will only exist until this fracture is repaired, and then they'll all kind of wrap into each other and will continue like nothing ever happened. Uh, that is, you know, sort of one way to make you know multi-universe stuff a component of a uni- of your you know your uh, fiction without it being a constant you actually have to be worrying about and you don't have to worry about people jumping in from another dimension to kidnap you either i did think what's kind of interesting with this one is you know they mention they mention alternate dimension which we've now come to understand as multi-universe stuff because that's what all science fiction has gravitated toward oh. <laughs> um but it used to just be random weird stuff. It didn't necessarily mean alternate timeline or alternate history. It was just ununderstandable other thing. Mm-hmm. Because the idea that we have in, that you have in physics that there are more dimensions than the normal, you know, three or four or however you're counting that we can interact with freaks some people out, and you yes. get into some weird Lovecraftian and, uh, not nonsense. Not just uh, you know too many tentacles. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the geometries that break your mind sort of stuff there. Yeah. I suppose there is uh, a, I guess, one way to sort of uh, think about uh, things on the in the sort of physics contest, uh, con, uh, you know, uh, side of things here, uh, in that, you know, other dimensions aren't different, you know, domains of choices or quantum probabilities or whatever, but, you know, space-times that, it, you know, exist but where the rules of physics are different. And this is sort of a string theory adjacent sort of uh, idea that uh, I'm talking about here, where you got 
a set of variables that can be sort of tweaked one way or the other, where you're going to be having very much a complete universe, but gravity is slightly different or electromagnetism, you know, has you know, slightly weaker or stronger or something like that. And very easily, if you just any of these things away from what they are in our universe, you get a cosmos that is incompatible with human life, but who knows what it might generate instead. And mm. it could be a lifeless universe where there's not even stars, or it could be some sort of weird plasma and you know environment, but it's not collapsing on itself somehow. Maybe some sort of alternative form of life can develop in that, and you know, a completely different existence can be uh, you know the result. And you know each one of these you know different rule pro uh, uh, possibilities, you know, is then you know you know potentially thinking about these same problems themselves there somewhere in deep, you know, deep inside. It also makes traveling between them a little difficult because, you know, if you take your spaceship over there, your spaceship's engine stop working, uh, your, uh, your blood pH is suddenly off. And also all the, uh, neurotransmitters in your brain, uh, you know, stop firing properly because, you know, you know, electromagnetism is just a little bit weaker here. And so it's unable to get through certain, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, bits of the uh, chemistry involved there. And so suddenly you just find yourself not working right anymore. That'd be a bad way to go. Yeah, you probably shouldn't go to places where physics doesn't work the same way. It's not going to turn out well for <laughs> exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, having a multi-universe uh, situation in, uh, a, you know, in reality or fiction like that does make things a little simpler in terms of picking which one you find relevant. It is somehow interesting that that whenever you do in sci-fi a multi-universe thing, the the thing that always changes is human decision making. Mm -hmm. That is the one and only thing that has ever <laughs> altered reality in any of these things. It's a little self-centered, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think the other thing you kind of touched on way earlier is uh, this is. I believe it's the first time in any Star Trek that we've encountered a time loop. I think so, actually. Yeah. Like you were saying, it's not really used well. Like you said, it, like you were postulating of how it could be incorporated into the B plot, A plot. It's unclear which one the love triangle is supposed <laughs> to be. <laughs> but the time loop in this is very completely isolated. It's It's just shown. It does a couple of interesting visual tricks. But they don't interact with it particularly it's just it the, the problem annoyance. that they need to solve and um time loop fiction was around at this time period it's been around since uh probably around the 1950s 60s though it was it was few and far between mm -hmm. uh as far as sci-fi stories go and it, a lot of it is an exploration of whether or not you can change things knowing what's going to happen it's it's sort of a a meditation Indeed. on determinism if you know the future are you you know fated to repeat it and if not what does that mean and we'll get more of a chance to talk about this later that's interesting to look at it now as here's a time loop it's an issue we need to deal with it whereas later later things especially incarnations of time loops that happened in a few years after the movie groundhog day really really popularized the time loop narrative mm -hmm. 
um, you have now interactive time loops. The characters are aware of the time loop or become aware of the time loop at some point and need to utilize the mechanics of the time loop to learn or grow Indeed. or solve a puzzle or uh, something. I recall, I didn't see it, but I saw a trailer a couple of years ago uh, about a movie where a, you know, a girl was, uh, I think it's called Happy Death Day, where she keeps getting murdered, but comes back and repeats the loop again. Yes, I haven't gotten a chance to see that, but Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day 2 are supposed to be amazing time loop horror movies, which I haven't gotten a chance to see, but there are some of these other, like, you know, shoestring budget indie projects that are just made super, super well. So if you were stuck in a time loop, Gepwin, and someone was trying to murder you, what would you do? <laughs> I don't know. It depends on what it was going on. You might just, you could just uh, <laughs> screw around. Might be fun. <laughs> I feel like my favorite time loop thing overall, which we'll talk about time loops a lot more, but the one Stargate where they got bored halfway through and just spent whoever, who knows however many years randomly screwing around because if stuff resets every day, you don't have any consequences mm -hmm. to your actions at all. <laughs> so I'm going to resign and kiss Carter and time loop reset. <laughs> Play golf. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Teal keeps getting slammed in the face by the door. Probably the best time loop episode of sci-fi shows overall. Yes, <laughs> but at least my favorite. But that's just how I feel about that. Don't you, don't you, don't you agree? Wherever <laughs> 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 line was. <laughs> yeah, what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> and of course, you know, with the uh, the Fruit Loops there, and uh, they're glued on the spoon to make sure it would go, you know, the same way each time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're, we're slipping over mm. to Stargate again. Uh, do we got anything thing else to t touch on here? No, I don't think so. The, the only disappointment with Stargate is that we're going to have to at some point do isolated episodes because there's no way we can do an interconnected 10-year-long overarching plot line that circles <laughs> back on itself six times. Mm -hmm. And then as a spinoff show. <laughs> I still need to write a, a Stargate reboot pilot. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh... I guess maybe one thing. Uh, what, what's your uh, opinion on uh, love triangles? Uh, I usually dislike them overall. Mm -hmm. It's just a way to disappoint everyone. Uh, they're also yes. usually <laughs> love V's. Like, come on, have Dr. Paul Mannheim go after Picard. Do it, you cowards. <laughs> uh, the My favorite, my only actual favorite one, which... Uh, is another good sci-fi show, but one that we definitely won't be able to talk about easily, especially with YouTube stuff, <laughs> is from mm -hmm. uh, Sense8, where, um, you know, minor spoil spoilers, there's a, un there's a love triangle that's going on that's like, oh my god, what are they going to do? Can it be resolved? Turns out, everyone's just by, and it's fine. Yay! <laughs> oh, they'll just uh, hop in bed together and everything good. All right. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you just go from love triangle to polycule, and it's fine. Yes. And I feel like more love triangles should resolve themselves. Me too, that way. actually. Yeah. Because it's like there's a there's a simple solution here, guys. Just like get over yourselves, <laughs> and you yeah. know, and, you know, either admit you know mutual attraction, or you know, call it off entirely and be all like, yeah, it's fine. You know, uh, I know we have some history, right. <laughs> uh, uh, Captain Picard here, but uh, you know, it's. Been long over. Why are you st still dwelling on it? Mm. Yeah, there's an easy way to resolve this love triangle if you're not a coward. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
Uh, and make sure to get data in there too somewhere. <laughs> yeah, then it's a square. Just a, a, a larger polycule, you know? Yeah, it's a love polyhedron. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More triangles. Oh, it's like Trivial Pursuit. You just keep clicking the triangles in together. <laughs> Eventually you have a circle. Eventually you win. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think I'm. I think I'm too tired for this conversation. I'm just. I'm just going off. Who knows where? <laughs> so uh, take us somewhere uh, the same, but also different. Yeah, gen generally when we start rambling incoherently, it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show. Woo! Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show, and also, hello everyone, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show, where we have several contestants who have been racking up various points here in order to get some uh, prizes handed to them, so let's get out to the handing out the prizes bit. Did, did I say that twice? Anyway, uh, the first prize is the Time Warp Prize, which goes to Dr. Mannheim for creating a tempor temporal instability that seems to link diverged causal realities and cause a bit of a looping effect where you can meet yourself and be confused about it. What does he win, Gepwin? Dr. Mannheim gets to have himself as a new research assistant. I feel like that would just solve a lot of these problems. He can have fun... His wife can get more attention because they can like you know share duties and responsibilities and whatnot there's an easy solution here mm -hmm. and it's time travel yes uh you know time travel get yourself multiple versions of yourself and uh I'm, i think that stargate did something similar to this as well hmm. anyway <laughs> the uh, second prize is the time warp prize which goes to picard and company for meeting themselves in an awkward turbo love encounter what do they win gepwin they win muzak these, these are very awkward elevators, and you can't even listen to a bad version of Girl from Ipanema. <laughs> An instrumental version that occasionally has vocals for some reason, but not, not the ones that from the original song. Hmm. Anyway, the, uh, the final and third prize here is also the first prize, which is also the second prize, the Time Warp, uh, which goes to Data and Data and Data for being there being too many Datas, and... Uh, what do uh, what do they win, Gepwin, for doing the time warp again? Data, data, and data win more datas. It's, you never have too many datas. We'll see <laughs> later. We have a fistful of datas. We have multiple datas. They keep bringing data back. They just they just hinted that there's another danged frickin' Soong in <laughs> frickin' Star Trek Prodigy. This this is just a frickin' conspiracy to get Brent Spiner acting gigs. I feel like it's. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought that uh, Star Trek would uh, would eventually turn into the uh, the Brent Spiner show uh, for all eternity? Oh, <laughs> yeah. This basically just 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 is the foreshadowing of literally every Star Trek property <laughs> for the next hundred Brent years. Spiner. It's just data, soon data, soon data. <laughs> eventually, the entire show. We'll just be Brent Spiner on a green screen, you know, freaking freaking mm -hmm. playing every character. Uh, I think uh, we're going to have a crossover with uh, the Congress at this rate uh, in order to get that uh, to happen. But uh, that's all I got here for uh, for mm -hmm. prizes, Gepwin. So, uh, so Gepwin, uh, that's all I got here for prizes. So uh, uh, make sure to uh, take this out of here before I continue to uh, hand out more prizes for the Time Warp again to, to myself. Wait, 
Help me, Gatwood. Yes, thank you everyone for joining us. And come next time for Let's Do the Time Warp Again. Let's do the time no, that warp was, uh, again. That was like 50 episodes yes. ago. Anyway. Well, it was only before TNG. Thank you for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Woo! We've gotten really silly here. Really. Mm -hmm. This is. I'm recording late. It's. Uh, <laughs> okay. We don't. We don't get to stay silly, or we do because uh, next week they're they're really they're really trying. Oh my <laughs> god, they're trying so hard to make this serious and hard hitting and and mysterious and. Yep. It's just a big puppet. Big gooey it's a puppet. Big puppet. <laughs> also, a, a guy's head explodes. Yeah. This freaked me out when I was a kid. I remember. This this freaked me out. Because this is just Star Trek. It's great. And then all of a sudden, this, this exploding chest cavity. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, um, just keep shooting it. Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, that's you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what's going on? Oh, they're eating bugs? That's kind of fun. Oh, my God. They melted a guy. Yes. <laughs> Well, I guess if you're going to uh, ever uh, melt a guy, this is a good reason for it. Yeah, it's still pretty unexpected for a little tiny, tiny child me yes. <laughs> who's watching Star Trek with the family. Like, Holy crap, what's going on? Oh. So yeah, uh, conspiracy. Uh. Yeah, so uh, next next time, um, you remember all the stuff that they set up in Coming of Age. Oh. You, you don't? Really? Yeah. You don't remember that episode at all? You don't even remember that that was the name of an episode that happened and we covered a couple of weeks back? Uh, no? Yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was the one where uh, Wesley was uh, a major player. Still not ringing any bells? Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Then, you know, somehow the best edited scene <laughs> of the entire first season. But no, nope. We, uh, now we're just now we're paying off something that was set up in an episode that no one remembers so so uh so yeah so uh, check it out also it's the weird like not season finale yes because there's one more episode after right yeah a much better season finale a much better episode but it's weird because this really seems like they wanted it to be mm -hmm. a season finale and, you know and uh you know later they'll figure out oh we can get the uh, series uh, renewed potentially by having cliffhangers uh but they weren't quite there in terms of their bravery yet yeah <laughs> no not yet so yeah next time uh exploding chests <laughs> kaboom Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, neck nipples for everyone! You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. 
Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware the next time you step off the transporter that you, that is now, no longer exists.